Thank you for tuning in again to the Rocky Brown Ministries podcast. I am Rocky Brown. All right. So tonight's message is is a uh, is a bit of an intriguing one, and this is going to be a little series that we're going to embark on, right? And so I was doing a bunch of driving Monday, and and as I oftentimes like to do, I spend a lot of my time, majority of my time, when I'm driving, praying in tongues, and then listening to what the Lord has to say. And so you'd be surprised what comes out when you spend two, three, four hours solid just praying in tongues. There's a lot of, the Lord, you'll get a, a lot of things will start to, will start a happening and coming through revelation wise. So, so it's, uh, so this, so I got a title for a couple different messages, uh, Monday while I was driving. And so I was thinking about some different things. I'm going to shift away from that. I'm going to move over here just a little bit. I'm going to get out of these gale force winds. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to come forward a little bit. I'm telling you what, you try to preach in that right there, and I mean, it's like preaching in a hurricane. Hallelujah. All right, so before I tell you the title of the message, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're going to talk about. So has anybody ever heard of the five love languages? Anybody ever heard of this? The five love languages. If you haven't heard about this, this has been something, the very first time I heard it, I thought that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. But you know, you don't know everything. And you shouldn't write something off just because it, it initially sounds dumb to you. Oftentimes, here's what I find, is that if I find that if someone presents something to me that I don't necessarily like or I don't necessarily respect, I don't necessarily look into it. And that's a fault, and that's something I need to fix. So this came across my, this came across my radar years ago. Golly, seven, eight years ago, maybe longer than that. The love languages. So the love languages, this is a concept developed by a guy by the name of Dr. Gary Chapman. And this basically gives us five categories of how we give and receive love. Now, interestingly enough, as we go through this, my angle on this is going to be different because we're not, this is, while we're going to use all five of the love languages as the premise, we're going to flip it around and we're going to look at it from a different perspective. But here's the thing I want you to, here's the thing I want you to keep in mind is that while at first I thought that this was a, somewhat of a ridiculous concept, I have come to learn, you know, you should get smarter the older you get. You should get smarter the older you, let me say that again, I didn't get an amen from anybody in here, we got them from, we got them from five to, to uh, in their 60s here, and ain't, no, and ain't nobody, I didn't get an amen from nobody, you ought to get smarter and wiser as you get older. As you get older, you should get smarter and you should get wiser. And so oftentimes the reason that the things that restrict that are sometimes it's just a lack of due diligence. It's a lack of caring. You know, I find that the older I get, I don't care about a lot of the things I used to care about. 
I, I mean, I just don't. For example, it, it wouldn't make, I, I could care less who wins what, who, what team wins what sport. I go and watch my kids play, and it doesn't make me no difference. You think I'm sitting there cheering my kids' team on? I'm not cheering them on. I'm just cheering everybody on. Bless God, they, one team makes a good play, I'm cheering. That's a good job, you know what I mean? And then our team makes a good play, and I'm like, well, you know, bless God, that's a good play. Sometimes, well, not even sometimes, probably more often than not, we'll find that we get wrapped up in unimportant things. We will get ignorantly wrapped up in the unimportant. Right? You know that um, when you get to heaven, they're not going to talk about who won Super Bowl thirty-seven. They're not going to talk about who won the NBA championships in 1986. You with me? So, you know, oftentimes we live a life out of balance. And we put too much emphasis on what's not important while not putting enough emphasis on what is important. And so, as I began to... And I've looked at these love language things over the, over the course of year over the course of the last few years and it was interesting that yesterday well no today's wednesday so it was monday as i was driving back uh, as i was driving that the holy spirit gave me this message this this message title and message series based inside of these five love languages so let me tell you what they are first you ready for this let's go let, let's go let me tell you what they are first. And then and then we will uh, and then we will begin to break this thing down, right? So and this is in no specific order, you understand, but this is just how they're listed on the internet. So number one, words of affirmation. Now you think you might know what that means, but we're going to dig into that. Words of affirmation is number one. Number two, acts of service. Number three, receiving gifts. Number four, quality time. Number five, physical touch. All right. Now, every human being operates somewhere inside this scale. If you're, you know. Say what? Let's go, let's go one more time. Number one, words of affirmation. Number two, acts of service. Number three, receiving gifts. Number four, quality time. Number five, physical touch. All right, so this is how, as a rule, as a standard, almost all human beings give and receive love. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about, we're not going to talk about gift giving tonight. That's a different one. But how many people in the room like to give a gift to someone by a show of hands? Y'all like, who likes to give a gift? Let's just keep your hands up there just a second. Everybody put your hands up if you like to give a gift. All right. Now, keep your hands up. Now, if you like to give a gift and you've got your hand up, all right, everybody in this room right now has their hands up. Now, how many people enjoy receiving gifts? Kenny does. All right, so there's three, six, seven. There's eight of us in here right now. Eight for eight went, I love to give, give gifts. 
And one out of eight said, I like to receive gifts. All right? Now, interestingly enough, that is probably what, something that makes Kenny feel loved and appreciated, right? Is that right? If it's not, jump up and scream false prophet, and we'll grab some stones. All right? Now think about this. Watch this. This is something important that the Lord said to me. And, and breaking this down. So I'm going to give you some, inter- I'm going to give you some interesting notes that the Lord said. You do not get to determine what makes someone feel loved. Let me say that again. Since there was such an overwhelming yell from the crowd, let me, so y'all quiet down here a little bit and let me, and let me speak. You do not get to determine what makes someone feel loved. Okay? Now, Some form of action is always required on the behalf of the giver to the recipient. And if done genuinely, always, listen very carefully, always requires a level of intentional effort. Isn't that something? Now you're probably wondering where we're going with this. We're going to flip this around, because I'm about to flip your lid here in just a second after I finish reading all these notes. So let me break this down, all right? You do not get to tell someone what uh, one of these categories, what makes them feel loved, all right? So think about it like this. Say, for example, acts of service does absolutely nothing for Kenny, right? Someone comes and Moses grass, he's like, hey, that's super nice, blah, 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 doesn't move him, right? Or whatever. Or his car, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not the way that... He says, well, you know, I appreciate that, but it doesn't really, doesn't really do anything for me. Kind of like the, those of us that said, well, receiving gifts don't do anything for us. All right. Now, if the way that I like to show love is by acts of service, and I do this for Kenny and it doesn't move Kenny, I don't have a right to get mad about it. Let me say that one more time. Because what makes Kenny feel loved is receiving a gift. What makes me think that he feels love is acts of service. Well, if I didn't ask him, hey, Kenny, what, you know, what makes you feel loved? And then I, I assume, and you know, what they, you know what they say that spells, if you break that down into three syllables. So if I try to take what I think makes people feel loved and I do that for someone that, that doesn't do anything for them, and they're like, hey, I appreciate it, but there's no, this, you know, there's no streamers, there's no red carpet, we're not getting a ticker tape parade and all this different stuff because of what you've done. I don't have a right to get mad. Now, why don't I have a right to get mad? Who was wrong? Me or the recipient of the gift? I was wrong. Because I made an incorrect assessment on what I thought would make Kenny feel loved. I was incorrect. I didn't ask him. Isn't that something? So as we look at this, oftentimes we go wrong in our love efforts by trying to love someone in the same way we process love. 
And if the person doesn't receive it in the way that we think that they should, it causes problems and sometimes even huge problems. Isn't that something? The title of tonight's message is called God's Love Language. I'm going to flip this around. And we're going to look at this from a different perspective. Because, see, here's the thing. If you don't know how to love God right, you'll not know how to love people right. And so we got to go through this thing and find out what makes him feel loved. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? What makes him feel loved? And, you know, interestingly enough, I can prove it to you inside the, inside the scope of the word, and we're going to, that all five of these categories prove, and all five of them are required of us. Required of us. Required of us. And you don't get to pick in what season what, what God tells you to do versus what you want to do which makes him feel loved. Would you like for me to prove that to you? Let me prove that to you. I see everybody's giving me the cock eye out there, the stink eye. They're like, oh, God, what's he talking about? Are we ever going to get off talking in love? No, we ain't never going to get out of talking about talking about love because this is the one thing. I'm not going to get up here and waste weeks and times and years studying who the Antichrist is and all this different stuff and prophecy and everything else. It's a waste of time i got to deal with what's going on now. If someone gives a word of prophecy, guess what? You know what? If, if Rhonda was to jump up and say, Thus saith the Lord, well, we're going to write that down. You know then what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to see if it comes to pass. And if it don't come, and it may not come to pass in your lifetime. That happened to a lot of the prophets. All right, now, watch this. Interestingly enough, go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And it says, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fell? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. All right? So what's the problem here? Both of them brought an offering, right? Did they not? Did the Bible say both of them brought an offering? Both of them brought an offering, didn't it? All right, so what's the difference in the offering? Well, you find that if you study the terminology, what's said right here, it says Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. Cain brought whatever he chose, and Abel brought the best. Cain said, well, this is good enough for the Lord. And Abel said, I'm going to find the best for the Lord. 
So who, which one was approved? Of course, Abel was and Cain was not. So then the Lord told him, your offering is not pleasing because you just brought whatever you chose. Abel's offering is pleasing because he brought the best. So then you don't get to tell God what makes him feel loved and appreciated. But boy, we sure try to, don't we? <laughs> we sure try to, don't we? Huh? Well, you know, I've been going to church. I've been going to church three days a week since 1957. Yeah, and you living like a hell 142 hours a week the rest of the week. Chris got a kick out of that. See, it's important that we understand these things because, you know, the Word tells us what we can do, what's required of us that proves to the Lord our God that we love Him. And you can't get out from under this old, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, and He tests your heart. And people that say that oftentimes find that their heart proves them a liar, proves the words of their mouth a lie. Because you say you love the Lord, but you ain't doing nothing. You ain't doing nothing for him. You ain't serving him. You hear me? You see what I'm saying? They, a lot of people think that they're on their way to heaven and they're so glad. But they don't publicly acknowledge Jesus. And they're actually on their way to hell. Because he said, if you don't acknowledge me before men, I'm not going to, you will not, I'll not acknowledge you before my father and his angels. Oh, that preach. Huh? That preach right there. Now you better listen to that. A lot of people say they think they're on their way to heaven, but they're actually on their way to hell because they will not give a public testimony of the Lord. Woo! You better think about that. <laughs> you better think about that now. Come on, that's what the Word says, isn't it? Is that what Jesus said? So it doesn't matter how saved you think you are. Don't matter how tight you think you and Jesus are. Because he says, if you love me, you're going to acknowledge me publicly. You're not going to be ashamed of me. See that? Can you see that? So we don't get to tell the Lord our God what makes him feel loved. So then we've got to find out inside the scope of the word what makes him feel loved, what makes him feel appreciated, what proves to him that you genuinely love him. What do you think about that? Let's look at this. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. Now listen carefully. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now, interestingly enough, as I was studying here, something hit me. I said, huh, that's interesting. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. 
So this is a commandment that must have that that must take precedent over the ten because he doesn't say this is the first of the ten commandments because you go to Exodus chapter twenty and it says, Thou, "I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other, you shall have no other gods before me." See, this is we're trying to set a precedent here that see there are other commandments besides the ten. See, people are hung up on the ten, but the Romans thirteen tells us love fulfills all the law and all the commandments. So instead of setting your focus on Ten Commandments, set your focus on love and you'll fulfill the Ten by default. You see that? So when we go back and we look at this and Jesus is... You need a Bible? Jesus is actually referencing Deuteronomy 6. But Jesus adds something here that's not in Deuteronomy 6. It's very interesting. If you go and you read Deuteronomy 6, it says, you know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And it says, and you shall love the Lord with all your soul, all your, all your heart, and all your strength. Right? That's what Deuteronomy says. Let's look at that real quick. Deuteronomy 6. Let me pull that up real quick. I don't want to misquote that. And I'm pretty sure that I did just misquote that. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Starting at, or start at chapter 6, starting at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. All right? So there you have it. Now, Jesus, in this particular text, adds the word Mind. Well, that's interesting because, see, mind is a portion of the soul. And, and we would want to get in a little bit in depth into that. But it's important for you to understand that the soul is the eternal container of the heart, the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's the eternal container. It's like the Lord explained to me one time. He said, it's like a hard drive in a computer. He said, you come with certain default programming for your body to operate. But everything after that, you become based on what's poured into you or taken out of you. And so, and there are different portions of the mind and all of this different stuff. So he says, all of your mind. Well, that's the faculty of your understanding, your original programming, all of this different stuff. Well, so interestingly enough, this is a three quarters of this is a charge to Israel before the new covenant. So, you know what that tells me? This was possible before. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It was possible for someone to love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their strength before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So if it was possible, and before they were given, before we could be filled with the Holy Spirit and all that different stuff, so if it was possible for, this, for the Old Testament people to do that, how much the more so is this possible for us to do that when we have he, Him living in us? Can you see that? See, some people say, my God, how do you do that? Well, maybe you ought to stop watching as much football and start reading a little bit more of the Word. You see what I'm saying? Is this making sense? And so when we look at this, one of the commands is, love the Lord your God with half of your heart, three-quarters of your mind, 20% of your soul, and 5% of your strength. Come on. Come on. Where is this? Where, here, this is the standard. This is the standard of holiness. This is the standard of the sacrifice. This is the standard of the requirement. You see that? So he says, this is the first, he says, this is the first commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So that's a commandment. Now, how many want to go back and look at the ten and go, man, them ten's a whole lot easier than this? 
Can you see that? Stay with me. Because this is life-altering, life-changing stuff if you'll get a hold of this. The word of the Lord came a couple of weeks ago through someone and was said, it was a warning. I'll meet you with the same grace and mercy that you show others. Hello? The Lord is going to meet you with the same grace, the same mercy, and the same compassion that you show others. Remember that in Galatians chapter 6? Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. For as one sows, so shall they reap. All right? Well, how are you doing in the mercy department? How are you doing in the compassion department? <laughs> See that? Think about this. Would you want to be met with the same mercy and the same compassion and the same grace that you're, being, that you're giving? Ooh, man, that hurts, don't it? Woo! Man, I just feel like, ah! Like, that's like, I, oh, man, that hurts, doesn't it? That's the standard. So think about it like this. If we desire to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, what are we going to want to do? We're going to be... We're going to want to please him, aren't we? Are we going to want to be pleasing to him? Yeah, sure we are. Certainly we are. You know what that's going to require on our behalf? Sacrifice. That's a dirty word in the church today. Because people don't want to have to make the sacrifice to do what's right in the sight of the Lord their God. And they're having so much trouble in their life because they're copping out, well, I've got grace, I've got grace, I've got grace. And people are under the understanding that this grace of God is a buffer or a safety net for sin, and it's neither. These are commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That's going to take some effort. That's going to take studying, you're going to have to find out who he is. Are you, are you with me? It's going to take discipline because you're going to have to take what you've learned and apply it to your life. And that's easy to do when there's no struggle and there's no trial and there's no tribulation. But what happens when trial and struggle and tribulation come to your door because for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be tested. You will be tried. You will come up against tribulations. Come on. It's going to happen. There's a saying in the rodeo circuit, and I lived it. It says it's not if you get hurt, it's when and how bad. You flip that saying and take this to Christianity. It's not... If you go through trials, it's not if you go through tribulations, it's not if the adversary comes knocking on your door, it's when, when. You know the adversary had the guts and the audacity to go face to face and try Jesus in the wilderness, and he knew who he was, ladies and gentlemen. He knew who he was. Now, if he had, that, if he had the audacity to do that to the master, how much the more so will he and his kingdom do it to us? And see, we get emotional, and we get moved the wrong way because of emotions. The wrong, we get moved the wrong way because of the wrong emotions. 
Instead of holding steadfast to the word and going, okay, all right, Lord, we're taking mortar fire everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it looks like broken arrow over here, Lord. I mean, we're getting, I mean, it's falling everywhere. I mean, fire is falling everywhere here, Lord. And everywhere I turn around, I mean, man, it's I'm about to step on a landmine right here, Lord. And I mean, they're shooting at me from every direction. And the more that's required of you in the scope of your life, the more you know, the more is required. And the more is required, the greater those trials and tribulations are going to be. And they're going to come. And, and so, how do we stay in shape physically? We exercise, don't we? Right? We try to watch what we eat, and we try to take care of ourselves. So, if we do that with our natural body, how much the more so should we likewise do that with our spirit and our soul? Can you see that? And see, it's moving in an understanding... What the Word says is for our benefit. Do you think that the Lord says, I want you to love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind just because I'm an egomaniac? Do you think the Lord's an egomaniac? Do you think God the Father's an egomaniac? No. You know why He wants you constantly singing His praises? Because that helps you keep your mind fixed on Him when storms and trials and tribulations come. And your testimony will help someone else when they're going through it. But the problem we've got is, is we sail through a storm and then turn around and see someone else in the storm and we decide we want to shoot holes in their boat because obviously they're going through a storm and they must be doing something wrong. Woo! Man, I'm preaching better than I'm getting amens right here. Glory to God. That's the truth. It's the truth. I heard one man say the, church, the army of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only army on the face of the earth that shoots its wounded. But if you learn to love the Lord your God right, you will love people right. And you can't love people right until you learn to love the Lord your God right. Woo! Man, that's good preaching right there. I know it ain't political. I know we ain't bashing people in their sins. But if you'll get a hold of this, it'll help you. It'll revolutionize your life. It'll change it. Make a big difference. Hallelujah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind. So category one of the love language of God, words of affirmation. Now, interestingly enough, if you limit your understanding to the scope of your study, you'll always mostly walk in darkness and ignorance. Let me say that again. If you limit yourself to the limitations of your understanding and what you've studied or haven't studied, you will walk in darkness and ignorance. Let me prove that to you. All right. How many times have you been told, fear God? All right. Now, how many times have you been, has that been presented from the perspective of you better be afraid of God because if he will get you, Anybody ever hear this? He will kill you. He will do this to you. He will do that to you. 
But, you know, interestingly enough, you know, that doesn't stand up in the light of the word for the believer. You know why? Because 1 John chapter 4 says that God is love and perfect love casts out fear. Fear has two different meanings. Completely, and depending on how it's being used, completely, 180 degrees opposite of one another. So fear, in our dialect, means to be afraid, to be scared of, to be terrified of. But fear also has the definition to honor, to have respect for, to have reverence for. Well, that's completely different, isn't it, than being afraid of. Can you see that? All right. So this words of affirmation. Now, we're not, we're, I'm not knocking this doctor by any means. I think that he's on to something fantastic here. We're just going to take it, and we're going to go in the spirit, and we're going to figure out how to apply this to the Lord our God. Because, see, affirmation, from this guy's perspective, is emotional support. Which is good. We need that, right? There are people who actually need emotional support. All of us, to some degree or another, need some variation of emotional support. But you know, that's not the only definition to the word affirmation. Would you like to hear some of the other words, to the definitions to the word affirmation? The action or process of affirming something. Now, I'm going to come back to that. That's the Oxford Dictionary. Something to be, something declared to be true, a positive statement or judgment. Well, that's different than emotional support, isn't it? Now, that, now go back here and think about this for just a second. The action or process of affirming something, all right? So if affirmation is the process of affirming something, then we'd need to know what the base word affirm means, wouldn't we? Glad you asked. Affirm, according to the Oxford Dictionary, means, now listen, to state emphatically or publicly. Oh, declare one's support for, uphold or defend. And the third definition is, of course, emotional support or encouragement. All right. Well, obviously, the Lord our God does not need emotional support, does he? So then, how can, how, can, how can words of affirmation possibly be, one, a part of God's love language? Declaring something to be true. A positive statement. To emphatically state something, that's with mm, emphasis, right? Or publicly. We'd probably like a little scripture on this, wouldn't we? Listen to this. You ready? We're going to go through a crap load of Scripture. Huh? Y'all looked at me like, man, oh no. Because like, you know, normally we use a ton of Scripture. And now when I say, when I say crap load, we're talking 53-foot tractor trailer load. You ready? All right. So here's the focus. Here's the, here's the angle I want to take this from. I want to take this from stating something emphatically or publicly to declare one's support for it, uphold or defend. Okay? So this is the words of this is how we're going to this with 
this, this first category inside the scope of God's love language. Are y'all getting anything from this? Is this? This is pretty good, ain't it? Hallelujah. Ain't got a thing in the world to do with me. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. All right, you ready for this? Psalm 9. And I'm going to start reading it. Verse 1. Psalm 9, verse 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Woo! I will tell of all your marvelous works. <laughs> I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Woo! Ha! Man, how about that? Well, would that be to state something publicly? Would that be to state something emphatically? Huh? Would that be to proclaim or defend or uphold? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo! Are you liking this? Man, can you see where this is going? See right here, this is telling. This is a statement that you look at the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, and you say, you know what? I'm going to give you a word of affirmation, Father. I'm going to give you a word of affirmation, Lord. And here's my word of affirmation to you, Lord. Hallelujah. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. Hallelujah. Woo! I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Woo-hoo-hoo! He says, thank you. I needed to hear that. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Woo! Come on. That'll get you excited right there if you'll let it. All right. We're just going to walk through a bunch of these. I'm going to go to, this <laughs> was not even on my, this <laughs> was not even in my list. Glory to God. Woo, but we're going here. Are you ready? All right, go to Daniel uh, chapter 2. Now, interestingly enough, Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, right? And he calls all the wise men from Babylon. And he says, I have, and the Bible says that, that it was interesting terminology. He says, because the dream that he had disturbed his spirit so greatly he couldn't sleep. So it doesn't say he just troubled his mind or troubled his heart. This, this dream has got a hold of his spirit and it's rattling him. He says, I can't, he says, I got, I, I got to know what this is. And so he calls the wise men and he says, I need you to tell me the interpretation of this dream. And they say, well, O king. Tell us the, the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't think so, Jack. He says, I, uh, he says if you're going to tell me the interpretation of this dream, you're going to have to tell me what the dream is and then give me the interpretation. And, you know, that's a bad situation to find yourself in. Because they say, okay, no one has ever required anything like this of any wise man or astrologer or the Chaldeans. No one's ever asked anything like this. He says, he looks at me, he says, I knew that you would conspire to lie to buy time. He says, but I tell you, you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, I'm going to kill you. And it ain't like someone nowadays saying, I'm going to kill you. This brother had the authority to say, all right, drag them out of here and kill them. All of them. I don't care. I got a hundred wise men over here. There ain't none of them worth nothing to me. They can't tell me the dream. They can't tell me the interpretation. Drag them all outside and kill them, right? All right, so then this is interestingly enough. 
So Arioch, who was the king of the, he's the captain of the king's guard, who's the one who has received the command to go out and kill all the wise men, wise men runs into Daniel, a man. My personal opinion, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. I I, want to spend a lot of time when I get to heaven talking to Daniel. So it says that, if you pick up in verse 16, right before that, Daniel asked Arioch, he says, why is the command of the king so urgent? And so it said, and then Arioch tells him, and it says, verse 16, it says, So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Now watch what Daniel does. Now, Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah are all under threat of death right now because they are were found ten times greater than all of the astrologers and wise men in the Chaldeans. You find that out in chapter 1. So Daniel and his three friends are also under threat of death in this command. So Daniel, what does Daniel do? Does he go to the altar of Balan and a squalling and a snotting and a crying? Huh? Did he call his pastor? Pastor, you're not going to believe what they're doing to me here. What did he do? Did he say, oh God, why have you done this to me? What did Daniel do? It says, Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his, compa- his companions. Why? That they might seek the mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now watch what happens. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And what does he say? Listen to this. It's beautiful. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons, and he removes kings, and raises up kings, and he gives wisdom to the wise, and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I, uh uh-oh, watch this. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and you have now made known to me what we have asked of you. For we have, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Mm. So let, let, let's break this down. Daniel gives a word of affirmation to this king before he prays. He says, he says, he, he says, he goes, he says, give me time. That I might that I might that I might find the affirmation. Well, he doesn't mention anything about his God, but where's his where is his heart at? Who's he going after? Huh? Is he trying to call Bishop T D Jakes on the hotline one eight hundred Jakes? What's he doing here? Is he on the horn with all the Jews? No. What does he do? He goes right back to the house. He don't get a prayer chain of gold, ladies and gentlemen. He he gets the people that are involved in the situation, and then they seek the counsel of the Most High God. And then, 
Daniel, after he receives the revelation of the dream and its interpretation, blesses the God of heaven, doesn't he? With words of affirmation. Now watch. Now Daniel's decree, now Daniel's preaching right here doesn't stop inside the walls of this house with his three friends. Let's watch. Let's go. Come on. Let's keep going. All right. And it says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to them, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. All right. Now, just skip on down there. It says, verse 26, it says, The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Now, a lot of people in Daniel's position would have answered this question completely different than the way Daniel answers it. Watch how Daniel answers it. It says, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. So Daniel has included himself, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in this group. Has he not? He has. All right. How many people do we know would have walked right straight up in there and said, Yep, I've got it. I've got it. Yep, I got it. Yep, I got the revelation last night. Watch what Daniel says. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, your dreams and the visions of your head upon the bed were these. And he goes on, and watch what he says here in verse 30. He says, but as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that may you may know the thoughts of your heart. Did Daniel give some serious words of affirmation privately and publicly? This guy, Nebuchadnezzar, has, naturally speaking, full authority over Daniel's life. One wrong move for Daniel, and he's a dead man. There's no negotiating. There ain't no talking his way out of it. We ain't going to get the NAACP ain't going to be here to help us. The civil rights people ain't going to be here to help us. All these different groups, all these different politicians, all these different, they ain't none, they ain't none of this going to be there to help us. You with me? Come on. This man must have the fullness of his trust in the Lord his God because his life is on the line. Are you hearing me? And what happens? He privately gives words of affirmation to the Lord his God. And then what? He walks straight. I mean, they, people wouldn't walk into Pilate and, and openly talk about the Lord. That's Christian people. And this brother is staring death right in the teeth. And he says, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. <laughs> Come on. Hallelujah. How much the more so do you, should we be able to say the same thing? You know, there was no blood of Jesus on the altar in the time of Daniel. You with me? The sacrifice for sin had not been paid. How much the more so should we be able to do this? Are you hearing me? Let's look at this. Now, that was completely not even in my notes whatsoever. That was just completely right there, right off the Holy Ghost. But go to Psalm 48. Let me show you something. Starting in verse 1. Psalm 48, verse 1. Now, remember, we're looking at 
stating something emphatically, making something known publicly, giving a defense for it, upholding, making something known. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. In the city? Not just in my house? Not just in my prayer closet? Not just amongst me, my four, and no more? Where? In the city? In his holy mountain? Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the king of the, of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed together. They saw it, and they marveled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took a hold of them and as a, as a woman in birth pangs. And when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind, as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Now look at, listen to verse 9 right here. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple, publicly. According to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. What do you think about that? Is that a public affirmation? That's stating something emphatically? Hallelujah. Come on. You know, this type of stuff is pleasing to your Father in heaven. This type of stuff is pleasing to the Lord. huh? This type of stuff is pleasing to the Holy Spirit. See, we're stating something that we believe about our God emphatically. We're stating something that we believe about the Lord our God publicly. We're, giving, we're upholding what we believe. We're defending what we believe. We're stating what we believe. What do you think about that? Mm, come on. Woo! I'm going to read you Psalm 71. I'm telling you, we're going to be all over the place here. All over the place. Hallelujah. But you know, we have to have, I like to have just a bunch of just scriptures to just base what I believe. Right? I don't want to be one of these one-verse theologians. Come on, I want a sum total. Of, I want a sum total of Scripture about why I'm believing what I'm believing. Come on. Psalm 71. Oh God, do not be far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are the adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you more and more. Psalm, or Psalm 71, starting in verse 12, actually. Now watch, verse 15. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness. Well, God knows my heart, but it never comes out my mouth. Huh? Come on. Come on. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all day, for I do not know their limits. He says, my, he says, your righteousness is in your salvation. I can't even find it. It's your limits. It's undiscoverable. There's no end to it. I can sail forever east and never get to the end. I can sail forever back west and never get to the end. 
Hallelujah, as far as I can sail north, as far as I can sail south, I cannot find the limits of your salvation. I cannot find the limits of your righteousness. I mean, glory to... Woo! Hallelujah! That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. And this one says, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Hallelujah. Well, that's words of affirmation, isn't it? Isn't it? Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Praise God. You know, your father loves it when you love on him like this. Hallelujah. He loves it when you love on him like this. Woo! It cranks his tractor. That's what I'm talking about. It, I mean, it absolutely just excites God. It blesses your Father in heaven when you talk to him like this. When you're excited about him, who he is, what he's done, come on. Man, it just, I mean, it wouldn't it just, I mean, the one who gave his only begotten son. Come on. Isn't he worth it? Isn't he worth it? Oh, he's worth it. He is worth it. Hallelujah. How much should we want to just, whoo, do this thing? Mmm. Mark chapter 5. <laughs> Starting at verse 1. Now, interestingly enough, Mark chapter 5 uh, I, I would love to have a Bible that was not divided in chapter and verse. Because oftentimes, there's, it, it is a horrible time for a chapter break. You know, you're taught in school and in common modern literature that the end of a chapter is what? It's the end of the thought. And then the next chapter starts a new thought. Well, this ain't the way the Bible don't work that way. The Bible don't work that way at all. You can see God switch his thoughts. You know, the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse. Chapter and verse wasn't added until just a couple hundred years ago to the text. So God's thoughts can change right in mid-verse. Right? So, to pick you up, to just give you a little backstory on this, because this is one of my favorite accounts in the Gospels. All right. So, Jesus is on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's doing some, what Jesus does. He's being Jesus. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing the sick, casting out. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's just, I mean, he's just, he's just being him. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to meet him. Woo! Hallelujah. I, I mean, I know he's here right now, but man, woo! I can't wait till I get over there with him. Hallelujah. All right, so he's on one side. I get distracted right there. Man, I, all right, I gotta get, I gotta get my focus back on here. I get thinking about what's going on up there in heaven right now, and I lose track of what's what's happening down here. All right, so Jesus is on one side of the Sea of Galilee, doing what Jesus does. He gets on the boat. Jesus goes to sleep, probably for a number of reasons. Number one, he's on the boat with a bunch of experienced sailors. Naturally speaking, I'm going to sleep more easily in a car if. Mario Andretti is driving it than I would my 20-year-old daughter. I'm going to sleep a little bit more easily. I say, 
I wake up, I say, Mario, how fast are we going? He said, we're only going 120. Well, to him, that's slow. So at this, I could see that it's not a problem, you understand. So Jesus is on the boat with skilled sailors. And then, all of a sudden, the supernatural storm comes up, trying to sink the boat, right? And the disciples are freaking out. Now, I'm not making fun of them. I'd be freaking out, too, because you know what? I don't want to drown till I die from it. There's nothing intriguing to me about drowning or being in a big pool of water. There might be stuff in there that might eat you. And some, I'm small. I'm a smaller guy. It don't take as much to eat me as it does someone like Vernon. You see what I'm saying? I mean, they may think, they may look at that and say, well, that's, I'm not really that hungry. They may look at Vernon and say, I'm not really that hungry. But him, now he might be a snack. You know, sometimes I want a snake or a steak, and sometimes I just want a pack of gummies. You see, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, so there you go. You learned a little bit more about me than you know. All right. So then they, 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 <laughs> uh, All right. So the disciples are panicking, right? Master. Don't you care that we're perishing? He wakes up. Where's your faith, boys? What's he do? Stands up. Says, peace, be still. One expositor of the Greek New Testament said that the Greek, a better rendering of the Greek would probably be that Jesus stood up and went, shh. The sea calmed, and they sailed on to the other side. Now, that storm was stirred up by the devil to try to kill Jesus to keep him from getting to the other side. And you're going to find out why here in just a second, right? So we had to give you all that backstory for Mark, for the fifth, this next part of the story to make sense, right? All right, so it says then, starting at verse 1, chapter 5, book of Mark, it says, then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. Now, this brother ain't jacked up on steroids. He's jacked up on demonic power. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him, this is the demon, he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. That tells you right there that demonic spirits are territorial. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter them. That would tell you that this would prove to you that sets a precedent that demonic spirits can inhabit animals. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. And so it says, so those who fed the swine fled. That, that's a tongue twister right there. Blah, 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 say that 10 times fast. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what, was, what it was that happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This is interesting. They're scared. 
I ain't never seen nothing like this. That one guy, he's standing there, he said, I've been to two county fairs and three rodeos. I ain't never seen nothing like this in all my life. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. It freaked these people out so bad, they're like, please leave. We don't even know who you are. We don't know how you did that. This is the craziest thing we've ever seen in our life. Uh, would you just go? Because like, we can't handle it. We're about to have a panic attack. I need to get back to the house and get my, and get my inhaler. My asthma's kicking in here. I'm about to have an asthmatic attack. I got to have something, right? <clears throat> and it says, and when he got into the boat. Now, this is the part I wanted to get to. He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Now watch what Jesus says. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And it says, And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Decapolis was a region of about ten major cities. This was not just a town. It was like a county of ten relatively large cities. This brother's going through. He's to open an act for Jesus. He's going through preaching in all these towns and all these cities that I'm the one that was demon-possessed living in the tombs, and, this is the, and the one follow. he's about to come in here, he's the one set me free. Well, think about this. All right, so if, an affirm, if to affirm something, a word of affirmation is to emphatically declare something, publicly declare something, defend something, and uphold something. What Jesus told him right here is he said, you go ahead of me and give word of affirmation about me. Ain't that what he said? Go home to your friends. Jesus didn't tell him go throughout all Decapolis preaching. He told him go home. He said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. And this brother got so lit up on fire, he said, I ain't even stay. He said, I'm going through town. I'm going to stop at the house, and I'm going to tell them people, and they're going to have to get on board with this. They're going to have to, I mean, because I got other places to go because I got to go tell everybody all about this brother that just come and set me free. Are you with me? So this guy went around doing what? Giving words of affirmation to God. About God, about the Lord. Can you see that? Do you think this word of affirmation is pleasing to the Lord? I wonder sometimes if that guy walks past Jesus in heaven and Jesus just goes, just looks at him, smiles. Yeah, so proud of you. Think about that. All right. Now, do you think that that guy just gave up? I bet that guy told his story all the days of his life. All right, are you telling your story all the days of your life? Oh, come on, come on. Because, you know, think about this. Is, 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 are you still giving the testimony of what the Lord did for you? Huh? Are, are, are you willing to give the testimony uh, of the, uh, of, in front of people? I'm tell, I'll tell you a funny story. You may not believe this, but sometimes... I can be just a little bit bold about some things when I'm telling something. And I found myself in the midst of what you might call some local intelligentsia. Smart people. And they don't know what to think about me. They're Christian people, but they don't know what to think about me. Oh, they believe. They're probably good, wonderful Christian people. But they don't know what to think about me. And so one of the people at the table, I'm not sure entirely if the guy said it trying to think that I would back away from telling the story. 
But if he did, wrong bet. <laughs> so, hallelujah. So I am sitting at a table with professors, doctorates. They have doctorates, PhDs, all this different stuff, right? And one of, one of the people goes, hey, won't you tell that story about Cheyenne? I said, I sure will. And I gave the account about how the Lord my God raised that kid from the dead. And I told the entire story. And I sit there, and then people was batting their eyes at me like a toad frog in a hailstorm. And the next thing I knowed, I said, look, it don't make me no difference whether you believe this or not. And I just stood up. Well, I said, boys, have a good evening. I just got up and walked away from the table. It don't make me no difference. I don't care if you believe it or not. I, I don't need you. I don't need your approval. I don't need your support. I was there. I lived it. I don't care if you believe it or not. Doesn't make me any difference. Doesn't make it any less true. Word of affirmation. And I just walked away rejoicing. Then people were left dumbfounded, and I walked away rejoicing. Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, that's what you got to do. Now, I could have, what I could have, well, you know what I could have did right there? I could have said, well, you know, it's not really that big a deal. Hmm? How many people do that? Have you done that? When was the last time that some, the Lord your God did something miraculous for you and you backed away from the account? You backed away from the telling of it. Don't look at me. I know. I, I can feel it in the spirit. It's here. Now, do you think, what, do you, what do you think Jesus would say to you? What do you think he would say? What do you think you would say if he asked you about it? Hey, you know, why'd you quit telling people about that? Why'd you quit telling people about me? Well, you know, people just thought I was bragging on me. You know, I hear that. You know, people say that about me behind my back. They don't say it to my face. But you know, people, people say that about me behind my back. And I know that they do. And they know that I know that they do. And that's okay. Because it doesn't make any difference. Just the other day, matter of fact, just yesterday, the Lord asked me a question. Said, interestingly enough, the Lord's been dealing with me very uniquely over the last little while. Only one of the he's what he's called me has he's called me four or five or six times in the last half a dozen days. He's only said to me once in the last ever that I know of. I was at a fair. Before I tell you that, I'm going to tell you this. I was at a fair Saturday night, and I was looking around. And that's fine. I mean, it was fine. We were at county fair, blah, 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 whatever, you know. And I looked to my left, and the Lord said to me, Do you see them, son of man? They're perishing in the way. You know what he's talking about? He said, You see these people? He said, They're going to hell. That's what he means. They're perishing in the way. He said that to me a second time that night, about three hours later, four hours later. He said the same thing to me. I'm standing at a booth trying to get a corn dog. Real spiritual. Super, super spiritual. And the corn dog wasn't even for me. I don't even like corn dogs. I have never, a corn dog has never defiled this vessel. Nor will it ever defile this vessel. Thus saith the Lord. 
and I'm, and I'm like, the Lord said it to me again. He said, do you see them? Do you see them, son of man? They're perishing in the way. And as the Lord lives, this is the truth. I said, Lord, I see them. What do you want me to do about it? I'm not an evangelist. And I look to my right, and this kid comes walking down the street in a white shirt that has big black letters on it that says, let them know. <laughs> I said, I said, I said, okay, Lord, you're funny. I get you. I was like, okay. Interestingly enough. So the Lord reminded me of a commitment that someone made years ago pertaining to something very, very, very important. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, have they upheld their commitment, their promise that they made to me? And I said, no, Lord, as far as I know, they sure haven't. He said, do you think that pleases me? I said, no, sir, I sure don't. See, you got to be careful what you make a commitment to. You can make a commitment to the Lord. He expects you to keep it. So you better watch what you're saying when you get emotional. Right? Like my friend Robin Ricks, I got to go to a, a, uh, a, a black Pentecostal church Sunday, and it was fantastic. Lifelong dream of mine. I mean, I've wanted to, and I mean, it was, I mean, them, them, I just loved it. I mean, it was wonderful. I mean, people just took me in and just loved me, you know. Of course, we was there to see Robin. And uh, <laughs> Robin, Robin said him and his wife, Sheila, went into some shoe store. And Robin said, I didn't hear him say it. said, I was in one part of the store. My wife came up to me, you know, very, very emotional, very upset. She said, honey, what's wrong? She said, I just overheard this sales lady telling this woman that she didn't have enough money to buy these shoes. And the woman was, you know, kind of poor. And Robin said, well, you just go back and you tell her that I'm going to buy her those shoes. He said, my wife went back and said, ma'am, my husband said he'll buy you any pair of shoes in the store. <laughs> And Robin's sitting there, he's like, you know, he's like, I can't say nothing now, you know. He said, I'm on the hook. But it's funny, so you see, you got to watch what you say when you get emotional. Many, I say all that to say this, is that many people have, have had the Lord do wonderful, mighty, marvelous works for them, and they back away from the testimony and the telling of it. I know that people think I'm bragging on me. I don't care. Do you know why? Because I'm not. You've never, ever, not one time, ever heard me say anything about the miracles that the Lord has worked through me or the ministry as having anything to do with me. You've never, ever, not, no one has ever heard me say that. And you'll never hear me say that because I'm not an idiot. So it doesn't matter what those people say. Well, that's right. It's, I mean, that's their problem. Because when I'm not in the wrong and they're coming at me, they're contending against the Lord. That's their business. That's their business. Don't make no difference. You want to go one-on-one -on -one with the Lord? That's your problem. I know better. I, ain't, I, I just say, yes, sir. No, sir. How high you want me to jump, sir? Yes, sir. Sir. Yes, sir. I understand, sir, that you are the king of the universe. Sir. Yes, sir. That, he told that man, go back to your home, back to your friends, and give a report 
of the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion upon you. If the only testimony that you've got is the Lord saved me from going to hell, you got something to say. And you know what? Yeah, you're probably going to be looked at like a weirdo. Because here, on the earth, those things are uncommon and weird. But what is uncommon and weird here is common and standard protocol in heaven. So you're going to have to figure out where you want to be right. You want to be right in the sight of God, or you want to be right in the sight of people? I'd rather sit at the house, not being invited to dinner parties, knowing that what I'm doing is pleasing to the Lord than to be invited to dinner parties and this and that and everything else and hiding the witness and the testimony of what the Lord's done. You with me? Let's keep going. I know we're about to, I'm going to wrap it up right here. Psalm 119, starting at verse 161. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I, uh, I rejoice at your word, Psalm 119, verse 161. I probably said that wrong. There is no Psalm 161. If you go to your Bible and you find Psalm 161, throw it away, you've got, <laughs> you've got something you ain't supposed to have. Psalm 119, starting at verse 161. We'll start again. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Listen to this. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. What's wrong? Oh, that's Shin. So if you look at Psalm 119, which is the absolute longest psalm, it's a, it's a Hebrew verb something that gives a description. It's like it's a section and it breaks, boom, then there's another description. So you'll see that a lot in Psalm 119. All right, so can you see that? So a confer- it, 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 you're telling God, your Father in heaven, you're telling the Lord, hey, you know what? This is how I feel about you, and I'm going to tell you privately, and I'm going to tell about you publicly. I'm going to give words of affirmation to you and about you in all my ways. Mm. How about that? the first part of God's love language.